This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff producing the show. Mike, um... This is normally where we would uh, do a uh, a sponsorship, but apparently nobody listens to our podcast. This so. space for rent. This space is uh, currently for rent, uh, but good things going on in the uh, world of the NFL. First off, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying all the drama uh, mm. that's out there that uh, some of our more loudmouth people that we cover uh, continue to provide us with, like one Baker Mayfield who is going to great lengths to walk back uh, a comment that he made. Now, did I – is it just me or didn't I hear him say, I can't believe they drafted Daniel Jones, that doesn't winning matter? Right. He said, I can't believe they took him. My mind was blown. It was blown. And then he went on to talk about how winning is important. Daniel Jones was 17 and 19 at Duke. Mm-hmm. So – how in the world was that taken out of context, as Baker claims? Right. Well, it wasn't the whole conversation. You know, he said, I couldn't believe. He he claims, he said, uh, that didn't get printed. He couldn't believe that he was the first overall player taken. I Like, you can't take, I can't believe they took him. My mind was blown. You can't take that out of context. Like, you, did you say it? Did, is that something that you said? And if you said it, you said it. You know, it, it like, listen. If you didn't have a problem with it or you didn't realize it was probably inappropriate, here's a guy that keeps a list on everybody, right? Doesn't he keep a list on it? I mean, I'm on his list, right? He's pissed off at everybody. So, I mean, you've done the same thing that you're angry about all the time. And so, I mean, there's no way you can take that out of context. Now, it may not be the whole conversation. There may be some things that mitigate um the way it sounds, but the bottom line is, is you said that it's not taken out of context. It was something that you said, like, it, it, this is your own position with a, a other first-rounder. Quarterbacks usually, you know, try to take care of one another. And you said, I couldn't believe he was taken. It blew my mind. Um, There you go. I mean, you, you owned it. Now, at least you've you know, you've texted to say, hey, sorry, you know, it wasn't, it came out differently than it was supposed to come out or whatever it was you said to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones took the high road, good for Daniel Jones. But here's my, my whole point is this, Mike, you know, we're rolling into the, into the preseason, um, we're rolling into the regular season, everybody and their brother's uncle thinks the Cleveland Browns are going to the Super Bowl for crying out loud, you know, they got some of the best odds in all of Vegas to go to the Super Bowl. And and I keep looking at this. The only thing this team has led the league in is stupid comments. That's the only thing they lead the league in. I mean, it's not only Baker Mayfield taking shots, and maybe it was a month ago or two months ago or in April or whenever it was, but taking shots at another quarterback, inappropriate, whatever. You know, he apologized. Good for him. We, we move on. Um, but you've got that going on. 
Then you've got Odell Beckham Jr. continuing to whine about not being in Madison Avenue anymore, right? Continuing to whine about the Giants. Oh, woe is me. I no longer play for the Giants. And he said, hey, the Giants thing wasn't a business move. It was personal. They sent me to die. Dude, you're talking about you're talking about the team that you play for now. You're talking about the Cleveland Browns. You're talking about Cleveland. They sent you to Cleveland to die. It's like they you you, you it's like you're saying they sent you they sentenced you to life at Leavenworth. I mean, you're bashing on one of the great franchises and one of the great fan bases in all of football. This is a team and a fan base that goes to the game. In spite of going 0-16 or winning one game in two years, in spite of 20 years of futility, they still come out and support you guys. And you're so, I mean, you're so butthurt about not being on Madison Avenue anymore and being in Cleveland that you can't even see, like, you can't even see how hurtful your words are to a fan base. Do you, do you not understand that? And then on top of all that, Mike, Freddie Kitchens comes out and says, Target? I don't even know what a Target is. You know, their head coach. I don't know what a Target is. You know what a Target is? They're trying to whip our ass. We're trying to whip their ass. There's no such thing as a Target. Yeah, there is. That's why divisional rivals and divisional games are more intense than other games. That's why when Pittsburgh and Baltimore gets it on, you know what ends up happening to you? Right? And stand too close to the television set, you're liable to come away with a bloody nose when Pittsburgh and Baltimore gets it on. Remember a couple of years ago, Ben Roethlisberger gets his nose broken. It's all on the side of his face. And they're like, no, nothing to see here. Nothing happened. He goes right back in the game. You remember that, Mike? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're more intense. They're division rivals. So when you give bulletin board material, I get it. The ball's kicked off. You're playing football. You're not thinking about that bulletin board material. You're not. You're not going, they said this, you know, on the sideline, whatever. You talk about it before the game, and you'll talk about it after the game. But you're not really thinking about it. What it does for you, though, is when you walk in to prep on Wednesday, they slap all that bulletin board material up on the overhead projector, right? The whole team sees it. You say how disrespectful it was to you as a player, to you as a uh, coaching staff, to you as an organization – And then it heightens the awareness during the course of the week as you prepare for that game. Heightened awareness. Guys pay more attention. Guys are more dialed in. Guys are more professional. Not every guy, but some guys. And therefore, you're going to play better on Sunday. That's what having a target on your back does. That's what, you know, that's what that that fodder is. You know, that's that's bulletin board material. So uh, Freddie Kitchens knows he has a target. Hell yeah, he knows he has a target. But the, but the he Browns, knows what a target is. The Browns can't be that oblivious to what they're saying and how it might be received. And doesn't it perhaps sharpen them? Doesn't it make them better? Because Baker knows, OBJ knows that I got to back up these things that I said. I've I've got to hold myself accountable. So can can that make you better? Knowing that you've put yourself out there and you got something you gotta back up, otherwise you're gonna look like a real jackass. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's the ultimate team game, Mike. And one, I don't know that they're that aware. I don't know any of those guys are that aware, but it's the ultimate team game. And when you're talking about the ultimate team game, you're talking about a situation where um you you say it, Mike, it it, it covers all fifty three. So you say it you know, you're going to start a fire that the guard has to put out, tackle has to put out, tight end now 
is involved, right? And sometimes you're starting, you're essentially starting a fight. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna go square up with. Hey, nobody's squaring up with Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, there may be some, there may be some shit talked, but there's nobody squaring up with him. He doesn't have to hit somebody on every play. But guess what? All five guys up front have to hit somebody on every play. And all of a sudden, you've got a defensive line that's riled up. You've got a couple of linebackers that are riled up. They want to they get a shot on your quarterback. Like, these things, th- this stuff is real. And so, you know, maybe it fires everybody up. Maybe we're all in this thing together. I know they love Baker Mayfield. I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't um, because they do. But, um, you know, there's 11 on offense that start. There's 11 on defense that start. And, and you squarely put everybody in the crosshairs. So, you know, I mean, how do you deal with it? Maybe maybe that's exactly what Cleveland needs. Maybe they're going to go out there with the bravado and and you know, they're going to dispense justice. I don't know. I just tend to I just tend to feel like they're writing checks, you know, their mouths are writing checks that their bodies have to cash and I don't know that they have I don't know if that, that, that that's going to work. You know, we were talking to our buddy Adam Schefter from ESPN and he he made a great I thought it was a great way to describe the Jalen Smith deal with the Cowboys. He said he realized and he decided to get a slice of the whole Cowboys pie rather than waiting to grab a slice from a pie that had already been picked apart. Right. So he got his money quickly while he could. Yeah. Yeah. Got the first first bite bite. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's great for Jalen Smith. What a great story, right? Here's Jalen Smith who's going to be – Top five draft pick overall. You know, he, he, he's just a phenomenal college athlete coming out of Notre Dame. Plays in that bowl game. Tears up his knee. I mean, it's a vicious injury, right? Many thought he'd never play again. The Cowboys took a flyer on him. Um, he essentially has rehabbed that thing for two years. Uh, has developed into a great player. I mean, a, a, a great player. Overcoming that injury. Battling through that. And finally got, you know, finally got paid what he deserved um, in the first place that, you know, that, that, that he got bypassed on that big contract in the first place because of that injury. So all, I, I think it was great for him, but you know, they've got, a, they've got issues going on over there. And there's a couple of different things that I think about that, that bothered me. One, Jerry Jones is using that platform to send a message to Zeke Elliott and to Dak Prescott. So this kid has battled his ass off for several years to overcome a devastating injury in which many people thought he would never play again. He did. He's come back to play at kind of an all-pro level. It's been just a phenomenal story, an amazing story. And, And what happens? We take his shine away, his moment away, to basically send messages to the rest of the people on our team. I just felt like that's a shitty way to do things, right? Like, hey man, this is this kid's moment. This is this is this kid's moment. Let's just let's just let's just celebrate the kid and not talk about the other contracts going. Let's not use it to negotiate other contracts in public. Like that was the problem I had with that. One of the problems. The other problem is I will never feel sorry for a billionaire owner who's made a butt ton of money on the Cowboys claiming salary cap poverty. I can't pay everybody what they want. 
Now, Jerry has done a great job of taking care of his players. You talk to any ex-player that played for Jerry Jones, they love him. Jerry Jones is always taking care of those guys post-careers and everything else. I get that. But, you know, teams always use it, Mike, when when it's benefit when it's a benefit to them, right? When they want to pay a guy, they find the money. 100% of the time, they find the money. When they don't want to pay a guy, they always claim salary cap poverty. You've got offensive linemen. Smith is making $15 million a year. Zach Martin's making $14 million a year. You've got um, Collins making $10 million a year. You've got Travis Frederick making $10 million a year. Go to those guys, give them new five-year deals, give them a bunch of upfront money, spread that money out, and, and make them all, you know, get them all to about $6, 7000000 million a year. And you just clean, you just cleared up twenty million dollars of cap room, thirty million dollars, whatever it is. I don't I mean, math is hard. I don't do math, but you know what I'm saying. Could you find? You take your five starting offensive linemen. Do you think you could? You you think you could do new five year contracts for all of them and and find yourself another thirty million dollars? Of course you could. Of course you could. But you're not going to do it. Why? Because you don't want to extend them out. Because that's part of the business. But uh, like, if you want to get them signed. You can get them signed. That's that's all I'm saying. So I'm not going to sit here like a fan, like a fanboy of the Cowboys, and say, hey, Stink, you don't understand salary cap. They've only got so much money to spend. You've been duped. It's like the the line from, you remember North Dallas 40? There was a great line in North Dallas 40 when it came to the business aspect of football. And And, and the line goes like this. Just when I say it's a business, they say it's a game. When I say it's a game, they say it's a business, right? Like they they've got the upper hand. So I don't buy the I don't buy the salary cap poverty. We can't afford everybody. You if if you want to sign them, you're going to find a way to get them signed. Well, okay, but you can talk all you want about how they should have done stuff, but the reality is where they're at right now. And so you've got Jalen Smith, you got uh-huh. you got Zeke, you got Amari Cooper, you got Dak. They can't pay everybody. So sure, they how, can really if they renegotiate everybody's contract. But then you go, then you're saying, okay, you better be careful because how long is a guy going to be a good player? How long is he going to be? You know what I'm saying? Like how you how, think that they can sign all oh, these hell guys? Yes, hell yes, they could sign them all. Absolutely, they could sign them all. But you got to mortgage your future. And you got to gamble on the right guys, and you got to renegotiate the right contracts, Mike. Could okay, they, could they do? Of course, all they right. Could do but it. but is it smart? They now to may pay not all be. these guys. Now, I mean, let's talk about Zeke. Let's okay. talk about Zeke. Okay, you yeah. got you got two years left on his contract. Right. You tell me, based on what you've seen in the NFL recently, with David Johnson with Arizona, got paid, got hurt. Mm-hmm. Todd Gurley got paid, got hurt. You're, you're seeing it right now with the unwillingness for the Chargers to pay Melvin Gordon. Why in the world would Jerry Jones spend big bucks in extending Ezekiel Elliott when he still has him under contract for two more years at, at, at relatively cheap money? Knowing more, knowing right. the r- real unpredictability that surrounds running backs. Yeah, that would be stu- that would be stupid. Uh, that that's one guy that w- that wouldn't get it. Like he wouldn't get the money. Could you do it? Sure, you could do it, but I'm 100 percent with you. I think that I think that Todd Gurley's a cautionary tale. Well, you know, you you gave him he's making 14 million dollars a year. 
David Johnson, hell, David Johnson got $13 million a year. He's making $13 million on the cap this year. He went into the witness relocation program last year. Couldn't find him. Nobody knew where – anybody seen David Johnson? Johnson, Johnson, where is he? Johnson. Anybody? 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 No, can't find him. So, yeah, there's a cautionary tale. Hey, by the way, Devontae Freeman, who I love, I think he's a great back, great back. He signed a new deal last year. Was it last year? Got $8 million a year. What happened to him? Got hurt, right? Missed most of the, missed the majority of the season. So, yeah, I think there's a cautionary tale about the running back position that why would you? You've got, you've got, you've got Zeke Elliott for two more years on his rookie deal. Then you could franchise him. Hell, you could franchise him for two more back-to-back years. You know, so like he has he has no leverage. That guy's coming from a place of zero leverage. But I do believe that Jerry Jones would actually take care of the guy, just not to the fourteen million dollar a year. Like it's that would be stupid. Like that that would be a dumb business decision. So uh, what I'm telling you is, don't listen to an owner cry salary cap purgatory and there's no way I can afford it. I'm a billionaire and my franchise goes up 25% in value every freaking year. Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys at uh, like $180 million or something like that and they're worth $500 billion or whatever it is. like Or $5 billion, not $500 yeah. billion. $500 billion would be a lot. $500 billion would be a lot of That'd money. That'd be a lot of money. I told you I was. I told you earlier I'm not That's good at math, money. Mike. That's Don't hold me accountable. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Um, anyhow, five billion dollars. So, five billion, yes. Right, five hundred billion would Oof. be. Oof, could you imagine? I think I'd cash out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you stacked five hundred billion up, how Oof. high would it go? Oof. Like to the moon? That's some serious case right would there. Would it go to the moon? I don't think it would go to the moon. I don't know, but it would go pretty high. I'd love to have that. I'd love to have that problem. I'd love we should to find get out. Buzz Aldrin on and ask him how high the moon <laughs> yeah, that's is. That's right. Right, hey, Buzz. Buzz, you were there. Right, you were do, at the moon. Do you think how if high I stacked, is it? Do you think if I stacked five billion, it'd get to the moon? Yeah, five hundred billion. Man, that would be a great. Did you ever see Buzz Aldrin punch that guy in the face? Well, he's like eighty-nine years yeah, old. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin is just Buzz Aldrin's a, stud. a badass. Just a he stud. takes no. He takes no shits off nobody. Man, I mean, listen, they they went to the moon in in basically a washing machine. Really? When you <laughs> seriously, when you think about it, when you think about the technology and the right. power that it took to right. to actually, you know, land, you know, Apollo right. thirteen. Remember when they watched Apollo thirteen and the, the, you, Gary Sinise is in the uh, simulator and they're trying to make everything work on like more less less volts than you need to run your microwave right you know and they found a way to get it done do you you remember studs the old, yeah you remember the old like coke cans or pepsi cans or like how they were real thick you yeah remember those old like you ever make the you ever make the little cannons out of where you you tape a bunch of you, you core them out and you tape a bunch of um tape a bunch of them together like the you, you, you tape like six coke cans together and then you squirt lighter fluid all in the bottom of one and stick a tennis ball in the top, and then you would light it and blow the tennis ball up like 150 yards. Did you ever make those? I never did that. That, that must be an Alaska thing. I don't know if that oh, made its way to New England. We're yeah, those those things. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be politically incorrect. We used to call them, because back then you could say things that were politically incorrect right. without a bunch of snowflakes, right. you, know, right. uh, you know, wanting to wanting you know you to, to lose your job. Right. We used to call them Polish cannons. Polish cannons, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's probably inappropriate. Probably inappropriate. Hey, so we played. Like hey, we played. We played Cowboys and Indians when we were young. Oof. Good luck playing that now. 
Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. What an insensitive bastard you are. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so cops we, and robbers, too. Yeah. What a we play, disrespect to the robbers. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're stereotyping and typecasting robbers. Yeah, that's Some right. Some of them are really good people. That's right. Um, anyhow, <laughs> we used to make these things, and we would tape them up, and they'd be you know six or seven cans high, and he'd jam a tennis ball in there, and he'd squirt so much lighter fluid in there, and then you'd like, ah, bam. And so, and then it blow the ball like 150 yards up in the air and stuff. But over time, you know, all the leftover kind of residue of the lighter fluid would get in the can and you wouldn't have as much suction. So it wouldn't work as well. So you just drop a match down in there and kind of burn all the excess lighter fluid out of the little cannon you made. Right. And so we're doing this one day. We're doing this one day. And um, I like I'm, you know, you know me, I'm not that bright. Right. So we've got this big Polish cannon. And we've we've shot off ten or twelve, you know we've done it a bunch of times, right? And it's not going up; it's only going up fifty yards instead of one hundred and fifty or whatever. And so I I'm like literally looking right in the hole, the top of the the thing where I put the tennis ball, the top of the cans, and I've lit it off about ten times in a row. I take a match, I throw it down in there, and it explodes, and it like it burns. Now I didn't have a goatee because I was eight or ten or whatever I was, right? But um, it blew all my eyebrows off. No and way! It, it, oh yeah, it singed my eyebrows off, and it singed my eyelashes off, and it singed all the front of my hair off. Right, and so I like it was. I like looked like ridiculous. My eyes, I couldn't see for a while. You know, I had all lighter fluid in my eyes. Like, ah, I'm blind. I'm blind. <laughs> so anyhow, then I'm like, I don't want my parents to know I'm making Polish cannons and blowing crap up. Right. So I, that's probably where I started wearing a hat all the time, Mike, although I don't have one on right now. But I literally wore this hat. It was like I pulled it down <laughs> over my eyes, and I walked around for a week until my eyebrows grew back in. Like They're like, why is your hat so low? I don't know. I just like it this way. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm young. I'm trying to find myself. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I walked around with I couldn't even see. For a week, I had my hat pulled over my eyes because I didn't want my parents to see that I burned all my eyebrows off. Oh, shoot. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hey, I don't well, even know where we were. How one, do we get to well, that? I've got one, no other, I got one other thing I want to run okay. by you. Uh, I've been wa- looking at some some power rankings for the season, and uh-huh. the uh, the Eagles the yeah. Eagles are being uh, thought of very highly, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. uh, goes right into Carson Wentz coming out and saying, hey, don't worry, I am on track to Good. be ready to go for week one. And, and, and this is a guy I'm I'm really rooting for because what a great story, coming out of a small college, burst on the scene, uh, great talent, he's getting paid, he's had some uh, unlo- a lot of uh, bad luck when it comes to injuries. Are you confident that he is going to – get right back to the, really, the MVP level he was playing at before he got hurt. I think one of the things about being injured is, you know, you have to come to grips with what you once were and what you are now. And I always tell people you've got to kind of reestablish your 100%. So I had this guy that played for the Rockies back when I was playing for the Broncos. Uh, Name is Darren Bragg. And Darren was, I think he was an outfielder, whatever he was, right? And he's coming off an ACL injury. And I'm taking my son at the time. My son's probably 11, 12, whatever. I took him to, to Rocky's camp. Uh, it was up in Tucson, Arizona. And so, you know, I, they play a, a day game, whatever. We're at the, the thing, you know. And then we come into the locker room, you know, because I know the, the coaches and I know some people and some players on the on the roster and stuff. And 
you know, Daniel's just kind of hanging out, and we're talking to a few people, and this Darren Bragg comes up to me and says, hey, man, um, he goes, hey, let me ask you a question about, you know, knee rehab and all this kind of stuff. And so we're just kind of chatting. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm just uh, – I feel decent, but I'm just not quite 100% yet. And so I'm just not quite ready to, you know, to, to kind of give it all up, right, to, to go or, – or to just go full out. I'm not quite 100% yet. And I said, can I, you know, speak honestly with you? And he says, yeah. I go, I go, you'll never be 100%. I go, you have to reestablish what your new 100% is. They've cleared you to play? And he said, yes. And I go, well, then you're good enough to play. And I go, and if if you're at 80% of what you used to be before you tore your ACL, that's your new 100%. You just got to live with it. And you got to know that it's plenty good to play on, and it's plenty good, and it's and it's healed, and, it, you know, it's there's not any more risk of re-injuring it than, than there was before you injured it. And you've got to reestablish, that's my new 100%, and then just go out and play and, and quit worrying about it. Get over that mental hurdle. So we have this conversation, and then it ends. So I'm at ESPN. This is years later, years later. And who do I see bebopping down the hall? Darren Bragg, retired, you know, thinking about getting into uh, getting into broadcasting. And, I mean, this is six, seven years later, and he's first year of retirement. He pulled me aside in the hallway at ESPN. He goes, you saved my career. Because he goes, I, I didn't have the right mindset. And he and he's he goes. You're right. I would 100 percent of myself right out of the league because I would have never been there. I I never was the same, but I was plenty good enough to be good. And and so when you're coming off injuries like Carson Wentz is coming off injuries, you just got to get to the point where you're like, hey man, I'm never going to be what I once was, but I could still be really good. I could still be an MVP. I could still be a Super Bowl champion. I've got, I can be all those things. But mentally, uh, you know, overcoming that mental hurdle is the toughest thing about overcoming injuries. And um, I, I think that's one thing, you know, that I've I've consistently preached to a bunch of different players to try to help them through the injuries that they sustain, especially football players, because you know everybody gets hurt. It's just part of the game. So I hope I hope you're right because he's a really good player. I think one thing he's going to have to do though, Mike, is is his default mechanism has got to be from the neck up. He has been so gifted as an athlete, and we don't think of him that way because he's a big strapping, you know, kind of prototypical pocket guy. He's six foot five, six foot six. He's two hundred forty-five pounds. I mean, he's a physically gifted dude, right? He's got a cannon, can really throw it. But he's such a gifted athlete that when things break down as a young player, man, he took off and ran. And I think that's got to change. When things break down, learn how to throw it away. Learn how to protect yourself. Even though you're physically gifted that way, that's that's what Carson Wentz has got to move in that progression. That's easier said than done when you've always been a gifted athlete. I think he was a, like a, gosh, uh, no, was it was it him that was like a was was he like an option quarterback as a as a high schooler? No, Matt Ryan was Matt Ryan was a triple option quarterback. I think in high school, believe yeah. it or not, learn the value of the self sack. Or right. take a page out of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and just do the, you know, just the quick little flip of the ball on the ground. You know, it's that that, that quick little disgusted, like, oh, that play's not going to work. Ah, just, you know, throw it in the ground. You know, just yeah. throw it at a lineman's feet. You know, just be right. willing when, to do that. It does, it's not a great look, and, it you know, it, it, yeah. it might not be the most macho of things, but it's smart. Live to fight another play. Right. When you uh, – the, the problem with guys – that to me have been gifted athletes, um, your default mechanism is always your gift. Do you know what I mean? Like when things go wrong, 
you just fall back on your gift. And my gift is I'm exceptionally good, you know, from an athletic standpoint. And um, and that's how you get murdered in the NFL. <laughs> like right. Those guys, yeah. those guys get crushed. Yeah, so what we're saying is that Manning and Brady aren't athletes, but that that's yeah. fine. They're great, yeah. great quarterbacks because guess what? They know what they aren't. And when trouble starts to brew, yeah, just get rid of the football. Live to fight. Live to, live to torture somebody else. Another play. I think we solved. I think we solved some of the world's mysteries today. Mike. All right, let's go fire up some Polish cannons. Yeah, Polish cannons. And if you stack five hundred billion, one on top of another, just how high does that go? You go to the moon. <laughs> Buzz Aldrin next. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you uh, next week after uh, week three of the preseason. For the Stinky Truth Podcast, for Mike, myself, for Scott, thank you for listening, and we'll be back.